0: This podcast is graphic and deals with mature subject matter.
1: You're listening to True Crime Chronicles. The murders were so bizarre, they made headlines around the country. But 23 years later, the murders of Mr. and Mrs. Fred Rogers remain
2: a mystery. I know for several months after that, I hesitated every time I opened a refrigerator.
0: For True Crime Chronicles, I'm Jessica Knoll. And I'm Will Johnson. A lot of the cases we cover are underreported or not very well known, but that isn't the case here.
1: Yeah, the story that we're going to tell today is in Houston, it's like folklore. It was June 1965, and if we go back to that time in the 60s, it was long ago enough that the Houston Astrodome was actually a few months old. It was brand new.
0: So for True Crime Chronicles, this is going to go really far back into our archives So let's go ahead and dig into this episode and get started telling the story. Somewhere
1: in the Houston, Texas, police files, there's a box of photos, a box of crime scene photos so disturbing that when they first appeared in the 1960s, they became the topic of morbid curiosity inside the department.
3: Originally, there were like 50 8 10 Kodachrome pictures. They would come up and they would use these. And and mind you, we, we can't really judge this based upon what our ethics and values and what is politically correct now. This was 1965, and it was pretty wrong. And for a long period of time at the Houston Police Training Academy, they would come up and they would pass these pictures around during training. And it it would, invariably, it would be a situation where they would come up and they would pass the 50 photos out and they wouldn't get all of them back. They came up and they made
1: so many copies of these photos that the negatives eventually wore out. The photos were taken of a crime scene on the west side of town in the Montrose neighborhood.
4: Yeah, it's one of those cases that kind of keeps you up at night, and it's one that always pops up on, like, the top ten list of most gruesome crimes in the Houston area.
1: That's Grace White, an investigative crime reporter at KHOU in Houston. Like a lot of people who grew up there, she's known about this case for a long time. And when you dig into the story, it quickly takes you down a lot of paths, some that might hold water and others that, well, who knows? The summer of 1965 in Houston, Texas, was hot and muggy, as most of them are. Temperatures were in the 90s on a lot of days that summer. On one of those hot June evenings, Houston police officer Charles Bullock gets a phone call. It's actually just a few days after Father's Day. The relative of an older couple who lived on Houston's west side had been trying to reach them without any luck. That relative, a cousin of the family, decided to pay a visit to the house. He drove into Houston. And that evening, he came up, that Wednesday evening, he tried to come up and get into the house. That's the voice of Hugh Gardiner. He and his wife, Martha, spent years looking into the case and even wrote a book about what happened.
3: But he noticed the uncollected mail. He noticed that there were newspapers all over the yard. Uh, he was concerned about their welfare. So he went down the street, he called the Houston Police Department.
2: We received a call out here that the nephew could not locate his uh, grandparents. They were Fred and Edwina
1: Rogers. He's 81, she's 72. They live in a modest home on a quiet street. Their son, 43-year-old Charles Frederick Rogers, also lives with them in an unfinished apartment unit on the second floor.
4: So the police say, okay, we'll go over and do a welfare check. So the officers arrived. They
1: had two patrol officers
3: officer bullock and and Doc officer Barda, and they came
1: to the house
2: when we arrived at the location we tried to get through the front door the front door is locked
1: windows closed up tight and no answer from anyone inside police go around back and find an
2: unlocked door
4: they make their way inside kind of look around
2: we didn't see a thing in the house house was neatly clean. although we figured it couldn't be very far because there was a fan on in the back bedroom and her teeth uh, false teeth were laying on the uh, table. They
1: look around, but nothing seems out of place or out of the ordinary, but no sign of the Rogers or their son. Officer Bullock heads into the kitchen. In the corner sits an old ice box. He's hot, sweaty, and Bullock decides a nice cold beer would taste good. He
3: was looking for a cold beer, and so he came back by the refrigerator
4: it looks like something your grandmother would have i mean the rounded edges the one handle uh you know it looks like it's something from the past and i think it's really because of the icebox itself i mean that kind of in in itself takes you back to this other era right i mean you and i don't call our iceboxes icebox we call them refrigerators
1: captain bullock grips the handle and pulls open the door
2: I don't know if you ever remember going off on vacation or something, being away a few days, but if you ever open your refrigerator, there's a little musty smell there. We just opened the refrigerator up, and when we opened it up, well, all we could see was just meat packed in there. You couldn't get got anything else in there because it was just completely full of meat.
5: It was a small refrigerator, and it was pretty yeah. packed.
2: Bullock assumes it's unwrapped cuts of
1: pig meat, fresh from the butcher, but then he spots
2: something else. As it was getting ready to close the refrigerator, the vegetable being done at the bottom... It's glass, and uh, as I started to close the refrigerator, I seen the head of one of them, and then I knew what the rest of it was.
3: Both Fred, Fred Rogers, uh, the father, and Edwina Rogers, the mother, were both in the refrigerator.
4: Chopped up, their heads cut off, Put in the vegetable bin.
1: The mutilated bodies of 81 year old Frederick Rogers and his 79 year old wife Edwina had been stuffed in the refrigerator.
4: It's just one of the most bizarre murders, most gruesome crime scenes, you know, to imagine a a mom and dad, a husband and wife chopped up their bodies, just left in the refrigerator.
1: It dawns on Bullock that the unwrapped meat is, in fact, body parts dismembered limbs and torsos, what's left of Fred and Edwina Rogers.
4: Later investigators kind of put it all together. Edwina was shot in the head, execution style. Fred beaten to death with a hammer and the blood trail led to the son's bedroom.
1: But there's no sign of Charles Frederick Rogers.
4: We
2: do know that the boy lived with his parents. Uh, And as of this minute, we have not been able to locate him, or neither do we know too much about him.
4: He is a former Navy pilot, turned into a geophysicist. Uh, Neighbors just thought he was a weirdo, but he was actually a very smart, well-connected guy. He kind of had this secret life, because the neighborhood thought, you know, he's just this guy that's elusive and kind of quiet, nobody really knows anything about him. And he had this whole other life where he's a former Navy pilot, a geophysicist, uh, well-connected, with powerful friends. He
3: was out of town for long periods of time and would just come and go based upon his schedule. And he found things in worse and worse repair. The guy was very, very organized. He was very meticulous. He was neat. Fred and Edwina were the exact opposite. And so they essentially kept
4: the
1: house uh, like white trash. But the quiet life of Fred and Edwina Rogers and their reclusive adult son was more complicated than it looked.
4: There was a lot going on behind the scenes in their marriage, in their home. Their son, Charles Rogers, actually owned their house. So Fred and Edwina didn't, the property wasn't in their name, it was in their son's name. And kind of how the story unravels is they were having major money problems. They were constantly taking out loans on the house behind their son's back.
1: So there's money problems, emotional distress in the marriage. And with Charles seemingly vanished, it doesn't take long for police to name a suspect.
4: Police thought, you know, the son lived in his parents' house. Uh, Neighbors said he was kind of off to himself, quiet, kind of weird. Nobody really knew much about him. And so he was kind of you know the key suspect from the beginning.
1: But ever since leaving his job as a geophysicist eight years earlier in 1957, Charles's life seemed to be a mystery. Neighbors remembered the son, Charles Frederick Rogers, as a very intelligent man. He was able to fly airplanes and spoke several different languages. And what could drive a son to commit a crime like this against his parents?
4: Why did he do this? Why this gruesome crime scene? How could anybody do this to your mom and your dad.
1: The details of the crime grow more disturbing by the minute.
4: Investigators said they really didn't find a lot of blood in the house and they believe he actually drained the blood from their bodies and they said from the beginning whoever did this had to have some knowledge of anatomy. The way that these, this mom and dad were were chopped up and dismembered and put in the icebox was something very methodical, not something that just anybody could do.
1: They determined that the bodies had been dismembered in an upstairs bathroom and the killer had spent a lot of time cleaning up the scene with a massive amount of bleach.
4: Investigators believe this happened on Father's Day and Charles stayed there at the house for like three days, uh, you know, kind of staging the home, um, cutting up these bodies. In the middle of the night, he would just take buckets and, you know, go
5: dump them in the sewer opening and that he was smart enough to know that it could have been traced back if he had just flushed it and it was possible
4: it was just too large to flush. And then, you know, three days later, it just took off.
1: Where Charles Rogers went and where he goes in years to follow was anyone's guess. But there are reports and sightings and rumors.
4: Somebody saw him, but police never saw him, basically.
1: The story of Charles Rogers took on a life of its own over the years. There were stories about him being linked to the JFK assassination, conspiracy theories
3: there was no truth to it i mean charles rogers was not involved with the assassination of jfk
1: there's absolutely nothing at all that supports that over time the story of the icebox murders captivated houston residents as the city grew up and transformed into today's gleaming modern city the rogers neighborhood has changed too the house is long gone.
4: The murder happened in 65. The city of Houston tore the house down in 72 because it basically became a public nuisance. And on Halloween, uh, it was kind of a thing for kids to come and go and cause trouble. And obviously neighbors didn't want that attention. Um, and now today it's it's condos. So it's been redeveloped. So if you drive by now, it's there's nothing there anymore that you know, resembles the crime scene, other than the neighboring home still kind of looking like that 60s era.
1: Reporter Grace White became fascinated by the story in recent years and spent time visiting the street where the Icebox murders took place. Some
4: of the houses still are from that kind of 1960s era and matched pictures in the crime scene. Um, We found the person living next door uh, to the old property, very friendly, talked to him and he said, you know, my mom knew Fred Rogers, the husband, and he knew the story and he said uh, there was a second floor at the back of the house where the son lived and Edwina, the wife, he told us the story would kind of fix him food and, and leave it on a tray outside his son's door. And again, he, like many of the other neighbors at the time, described the son as a recluse, you know.
1: She talked to one neighbor who moved in just after the murders.
4: And at the time he didn't think much of it, but then over the years as as the looky-loos came and as the stories were told, uh, he said, wow, you know, this, is, this was really something. I, I can't believe I live next door.
1: So while police knew Charles Rogers fled south of the border, that's about all they had until the Gardinier's come along. Hugh Gardinier heard about the murders back in 1971, but it stayed with him.
3: Because it's not the type of thing that you could just drop. And then in October of 1997, I decided to pick it up again. I started working on it. I started doing research.
4: And so these authors basically traced him to Honduras and basically he was working down there, they said, um, and well-connected and doing well for himself. And he had kind of these powerful connections, which I think is why the theories come in sometimes about the CIA and the the JFK assassination. Um, He had a lot of connections in the oil and gas industry and people that helped him run. Charles did not
3: own a car. He was going to come up and he was going to leave on the Thursday after the murders. He was going to leave by airplane. He had a close friend whose name was Anthony Pitts. Pitts was allegedly involved in a number of different scams and various crimes. And he would come over to Houston, fly over every Thursday. And so he was scheduled to come over and fly over on that Thursday from Kerrville. And then at that time, Charles was going to leave with him. But a phone call came in on Wednesday morning around 9 o'clock in the morning, and Charles made the mistake of answering the phone. He got spooked, so he knew that he was going to have to leave. He had a Harley-Davidson motorcycle. He took the motorcycle, he left the house, and then he eventually ended up the next day over on Old Spanish Trail. Okay, and he came up and he traded the motorcycle, left it. He got a 1959 Cadillac, and Charles came up and took the 59 Cadillac, and he
1: drove it to Mexico.
4: First, I believe he ran to Mexico and then worked his way down to Central America. But yeah, they traced him to Honduras.
1: Charles Rogers was smart and he was an experienced geophysicist. He's able to make a living, presumably working for contacts back in the U.S., scouting for ideal mining locations. Essentially, his skills made a lot of money for the people he was working for during those years on the run. But maybe it didn't feel like a life on the run. The trail had gone cold in Houston, and Charles Rogers was living out his life in Central America.
3: We also understood through the Homicide Division in Houston Police Department that they had gotten a number of reports over the years that Charles was in Central America. Uh, They had no interest in pursuing him, and probably in all likelihood the attitude was that uh, Fred and Edwina were bad
1: characters, uh, and, and they weren't missed. But even with connections and business and a newfound life in Honduras, Charles Rogers' luck would eventually run out far from his childhood home and the scene of his grisly crime.
4: There were some arguments over wages and payment down there.
1: Charles was unable to make payroll
3: on a gold mine project that was in the interior of Honduras. It was a very, very rough
5: place.
4: So he was like murdered and thrown in a river, pickaxed to death. He was legally declared dead in 1975. So. Um, You know, he's long gone.
1: So what led this quiet, brilliant geophysicist to kill his parents? Hugh and Martha interviewed over 100 people, spent years digging through records, and formed a theory of what happened.
4: These true crime authors, you know, really put the pieces together and really found the story behind the story, and frankly, they say a lot of child abuse. We
3: found from family members was kind of an attitude that Charles, I mean, that, Fred and Edwina had it coming, and that they were surprised that it hadn't happened earlier. There was a long history of abuse in the family, and and Charles was in a position where they had ripped him off. Uh, He had paid for the house that they lived in. He owned the house. Uh, Edwina borrowed money against the house. Uh, he found out that they did and they also had sold real estate that belonged to him
5: i think he snapped you we, know that that it had been building for a while the anger and resentment particularly when you know he was the one that was working and and trying to yeah. build a life bought a house in a nice neighborhood and they were squandering everything he had worked for, and basically ruining everything for him.
4: There's all these theories that have been written about, um, you know, maybe he was connected to the CIA or the JFK assassination, but they said, look, you know, we, we, we have not found any hard evidence of that. What we did find hard evidence of is a family life that was just in shambles. And that's really combined with years and years of of fighting and just kind of this disruptive family atmosphere. It kind of just came to a head there um, on Father's Day in 1965. We did have plenty of people, including family members
5: telling us was that there was definitely emotional and physical abuse.
1: There's another wrinkle to this story. The Gardeniers believe the case was never really investigated fully because of a few factors. The first having to do with Charles's father's livelihood.
4: Fred was a bookie and he kind of ran in these gambling circles at the time and again we know that their family had money problems. They were borrowing money.
5: And he was the bookie for a lot of movers and shakers. And so if the investigation had continued it was possible that a lot of that would have come out. And a lot of people that Didn't want to be, you know, named as an associate of his would have been named. So it quickly got killed and to this day remains an open case.
3: And and it's also, you know, everyone expects, you know, crimes to be, you know, solved very quickly and the accused brought to justice. Well, we have to realize this, that in the 1960s, 1965 in particular, the Houston Police Department was a very small police department. There were only about 30 to 35 people that were in the Homicide Division. And the way crimes were solved is it was largely gumshoe detective work. Uh, They didn't have the forensic investigative abilities that they've got now. So it was a situation where a lot of stuff fell between the cracks. He did it. We know that he did it. But he's gone. He's out of the country. We're not going to spend our time and money to come up and bring him to justice.
4: And he never, investigators never got the chance to talk to him. He just vanished. And it's unsolved. Which is interesting because... You know, we think we know um, there's been, you know, the police investigation and then this true crime author's investigation. But again, still no arrest. Obviously, Uh, he's been declared dead and it's been many years, but this is still
0: technically a cold case. So, Will, it seems like the son was executing upon revenge.
1: Yeah, certainly. I mean, the big question behind any homicide like this, any horrible crime is why. And I think these authors, after many decades and then after years of looking into this and talking to family members and finding out what's going behind the scenes, you start to get an idea of motive. No one could possibly fathom, again, that that somebody could turn that anger into what Charles Rogers did, but that's the story of the Icebox Murders.
0: I think it's so weird that uh, someone from the police was in there looking for seeing at the family's home, and they thought, well, it's a hot day. I'm going to just peek inside the fridge and grab a hot, cold beer.
1: You know, for a horrific story and for the horrific nature of what they're about to find, I kind of love that part of this, the, the detail of the story that takes you back to this time that Grace White talks about where it was like another era, and I don't know, maybe somebody would do this today in law enforcement, but it just seems like maybe decades ago. I, I don't know. You're in Texas. It's hot. The officer wanted a beer and he opened the fridge. It certainly led them to figure out what was going on. Now, I'm kind of surprised that, um, you know, there wasn't more of an odor. We hear one officer talk about opening that fridge and it was had that musty odor. But I don't know. I guess that's why, you know, the refrigerator concealed what, what um, turned out to be the, the bodies of the parents.
0: Hey, thanks, Will, for bringing us this story, the Icebox Murders. And be sure to tune in next week for a new case and a new story. True Crime Chronicles is a Vault Studios production. You can tell your friends to listen, subscribe, rate, and review our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and all major listening apps.
1: You can find Vault Studios on Twitter, Instagram, and check out our Facebook group, Gone Cold, where we discuss this and other cases.